0: Welcome girlfriends. It's another episode. It is part two of our fibroid series. And I feel like there's going to be a three or four in the future, but this week we are going to talk about surgical management of fibroids and really how to make some of the tough decisions. So we are calling this surgery or not. So let's just get into it because I think a part of the whole fibroid situation with surgery is also what types. And I think a lot of us are scared of Huge, big surgeries, but Dr. T, can you start breaking down some of these different types of surgeries so people know that there's different levels.
1: Yes. So going back, if you listen to a prior episode, we talked about you know the the location of the fibroids. So going back to that cantaloupe, if the if the fibroids are on the inside of the uterus completely in the place where the seeds grow in the cantaloupe, then actually we can take a vaginal approach and look inside of the uterus, what's called a hysteroscope. Histero, I, I go over this all the time. hystero is Greek word for uterus and scope means to look. And so we can take a little tiny camera, we're in this because that's exactly how it looks, but now we can attach that camera to um, a screen and see. And um, we can use just through the cervix into the vagina, or into the vagina through the cervix, can look directly into the uterus and can actually remove fibroids that way. This is not the most appropriate for all fibroids; it's really only for those fibroids in the submucosal space, those ones that are kind of hanging like a cherry inside of the uterus. Um, but it's a very effective approach, and a lot of people have, you know, been able to use it. It's a same-day surgery; you go home the same day. The Recovery is pretty minimal, and it's so maybe something that's worth looking into, depending on where your offending fibroid is.
0: You know, you can ask. I need a balloon in my uterus after the procedure for any of these surgeries. I think that's always a good question
1: because we do want to decrease the risk of scar tissue forming as as everything heals. You know, other fibroids that are in the muscle layer of the uterus, so in like the orange part of the cantaloupe, (laughs) or under the rind, the subserosal portion may need an abdominal surgery to complete. So there's probably about three different approaches to the abdominal myomectomy. You can have the um, most well-known kind is just an open surgery. That means that we have to make an incision on your abdomen, Usually, kind of like a C section incision, but sometimes it can be a vertical from your belly button down or even extend um, north of your belly button. And that allows us access to kind of see the uterus and work on the fibroids one by one. It might be necessary if the fibroids are very large or if your uterus is very large. Mm -hmm. Um, But luckily, there have been so many advances in how we can approach these fibroids. And there are certain Surgeons, who are gynecologic surgeons, who are specifically trained in what we call minimally invasive approaches. Um, and so they can um, use instead of a one big incision, We may use multiple small incisions just to fit our instruments inside, usually no um, larger than the width of your fingernail, but then we can um, put our instruments in the abdomen and work that way. And so those are either called laparoscopic or even robotic approaches to a myomectomy. Um, The advantage there is that you may have a better recovery, you may have less bleeding, um, and so those are really good because sometimes you can leave the hospital the same day or the next day instead of with the open surgery, you may have to stay one or two nights. Um, The disadvantage is it has to be done by someone who is skilled. And unfortunately, it's still a learning curve for surgeons to really know how to do that well. So if you don't have someone who feels comfortable to do that, um, you may have to have an open approach or you may have to seek out a surgeon that specifically
0: specializes in in the minimally invasive techniques. And they'll tell you if you're a good candidate for minimally invasive procedures. Sometimes we talked a lot about the ultrasound on the last episode, but when we start talking about fibroid surgeries, especially for a myomectomy, which is just removing the fibroids and leaving the uterus so that you can your fertility in the future, then sometimes they might recommend an MRI or a magnetic resonance imaging that uses uh, magnet, magnet energy to actually look at like almost little slices of your body to kind of see exactly where the fibroids. So it kind of makes in terms of like, it's like geo mapping for fibroids. So we know exactly where the fibroids are so that we know when we get in for surgery, there's no surprises. So we know how big they are. We know who's in front of who and we have a surgical, you know, you can have a tactical approach before you get in there. Um, And then also know that we'll be able to get a lot of the fibroids out through a laparoscopic or robotic procedure. So just so you know, for a full disclosure, I already started talking about my procedure on the last episode. I thought, you know, I talked to one of the best robotic surgeons in the area. I looked at my MRI. I thought I knew how to read an MRI. Um, And I thought I had like, okay, I have like 15 fibroids. Fast forward uh, to the MRI uh, and the doctor who was going to do my surgery, surgery, the day she got my results and my imaging, she saw me walking in the hallway with my like Lululemon tights, you know, that were masquerading my second trimester pregnancy situation going on. And she just looked at me jaw drop like, where are you hiding these fibroids? Not knowing that I was just dressing the fibroids very well. And she was like, yeah, you have to have an open procedure. Fast forward to the procedure and what I thought was going to be like maybe 15 and 20 on just even MRI, it was 33 fibroids. And so, you know, when you have that much crowding and I should have known because when I had the MRI, they had to, they were like, okay, you're done. But we need to go again and get a little bit more slices so we can see even more detail because my fibroids were so, you know, jammed in there. Like it was kind of like, you know, a New York subway during rush hour. It was, they were packed in there one on top of each other. You don't know how many people are in there. And, or how many fibers were in my uterus? They tried to get more imaging and even still it, sur- it surpassed my expectations. And so that's why it's important just to know, you know, that imaging sometimes can get, you know, you would hate to be expecting a laparoscopic or a minimally invasive procedure and then have to end up with an open procedure because the recovery is different. The time you off from work may be different. And so it's good to make sure that, you know, your surgeon has all of the tools to know what type of surgery is best for you and to also manage, you manage your expectations and actually counsel you and consent you for surgery properly.
1: Absolutely. And I think sometimes people are still, you know, disappointed when their minimally invasive surgeon tells them that they need an open procedure. I said, those are the ones that really need an open procedure because, <laughs> tell, you know, a minimally invasive surgeon wants to do it that way. If they tell you that it needs to be open, it absolutely needs to be open because they, I respect them, understanding the limitations of their own skill and making sure that we're doing the right thing by the patient, by the
0: girlfriends. And sometimes the open procedure is what's needed. And especially, I think a lot of things have shifted. You know, a few years, maybe this is almost a decade ago, there used to be something where they morselated the fibroids inside the abdomen, which made pretty much anybody could get a minimally invasive procedure. Well, what is morselation, Dr. Joy? Ding, 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 ding. So morselation is kind of, if you imagine, like a hand blender to fibroids, basically kind of get just, your you know, literally making it like small so you can take it out of like a, through a small hole. You don't necessarily need a big incision to take these big fibroids intact one paid, one girlfriend had an upstaging of her sarcoma, which again is very rare and had the partner and the family to be able to advocate, to get this practice done because it advanced the staging of her search of her, her cancer. However, it has impacted how those of us who mostly have, but not, you know, most, most of these are benign procedures, but that impacted how we have to experience, you know, fibroid surgeries. Now there are more open procedures, more people who have complications from the open procedures, as opposed to what morselation can do. And so it's kind of like a balancing act, you know, we can't go back to back in the future, but it definitely, you know, impacts, you know, how many, you know, there's even more, that's even more of a reason to get your ultrasound done early, because if you want to get interventions, it's easier when your fibroids are less and smaller. As the number goes up, as the toll goes up, so does the type of surgery in terms of how, how you know, how important, you know, the surgery is, as well as how long it may be. You have to be under anesthesia, which increase your risk of other complications, like, you know, a clot in your legs or your lungs, all these different things. And this is not to scare you, it's just to kind of know, like, act as soon as possible as opposed to waiting. So I think that brings us to, like, the, literally the city girl sermon is when
1: is surgery appropriate like so many people know that they have fibroids they're symptomatic or they may not be symptomatic you know sometimes it's found incidentally and then we get to this point of like surgery or not nah.
0: and I think it's definitely a personal decision it depends on your personal path so questions to ask yourself, again, are you having symptoms? Are you being affected? Is your quality of life, like we talked about in the episode, is that being impacted? Because those are, you know, it's kind of like making, I always say do an algorithm when it comes to fertility, like if this, then that, um, just to kind of guide your understanding, like if I'm this age, then I should start doing this. And so I think the same thing with fibroids. if I'm, you know, having a a way where my life is being impacted, like I can't go to work as much, um, I can't study at school, I'm not being able to live my life, that should kind of like bump up surgery as a way to intervene because it's a quick, not necessarily easy, but it's quick. And then when it's over, you should be, you will definitely notice a huge impact in your quality of life. I can say that firsthand. And I didn't even know how good it could be on the other side because you just think, Oh, it's just my period. Oh, it's just my uterus. But you know, your, your cycle is going to cycle. And so every month it's going to come around and remind you like, dang, girl, you still doing this. And so I think it's important to just kind of, it is personal, but really kind of think about what are the things that might change that. And I think for me, you know, it really was symptom, I was symptomatic. I honestly would have done it probably like in 2016, if I was able to, but I couldn't. And so I had to wait until 2018, which really did take, make a huge toll on my quality of life. And I don't think I realized it. I moved to California and was working as a, you know, an attending under those, you know, circumstances, which was weird because I, you know, I was suffering even, when I had to take Lupron to, which we talk about in another episode, but Lupron can shrink your fibroids and it's an injection that kind of puts you into temporary menopause. And while I didn't have menopause symptoms, it was just like, you know, having to deal with being on this like foreign medication that actually my Nexplanon overrided the power of Lupron, which was crazy. I still was having like bleeding with I had to get my next one on out for Lupron to work effectively, which was still bog- mind boggling. I need a biochemist to like hit the DMs and let me know what that means. But really, it's really about making the decisions about how you will live better. And I, I just know I suffer for so long. So I'm always like, yeah, get the surgery done. On the flip side, I know that my friends tell me I changed after I had my surgery because after that, then I was like, I need to have a baby. I felt like I put myself on a clock where it was like, okay, the fibroids might come back, like you got to have to stick a baby in there before they come back. Because I felt like before I was like, I, would, I could adopt a child, all these different things. But then I felt like I did this surgery, you know, I, I need to use my uterus. Like she need you know, she needs to fill her up, Jesus, fill her up, Lord, you know? And so, you know, and it's, that's what I say it's personal. And I'm just giving you my own pathway to surgery just as, you know, cause I don't, there's no way to really tell you how you have to do it we just like to support people. We support our personal girlfriends. We support our girlfriends in the office. We'll support you girlfriend listeners, but it's really just a really, you know, to, you have to make your own decision. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's such a huge decision to make and it's not something to take lightly. You know, I talk a lot about symptoms as well. If this is causing, you know, a decrease in your quality of life, if you're dressing around your fibroids, you that is a quality of life issue. Like it might not feel like you know that's a big deal, but it is a big deal. You know there might be liberation on the other side of being able to wear what you want and look the way you want. Um, particularly, you know, bulk pressure symptoms, things that you may not realize are being impacted by having fibroids is painful intercourse. Um, that may develop over time. And so maybe it thinks to you like, oh, just just hurts all the time. It could actually be from your fibroids. Actually, GI issues, either having constipation um, or having difficulty with bowel movements, indigestion, could be because of the size and burden of your fibroids in your lower abdomen, compressing your rectum, compressing your um, colon. And that can be, you know, a huge thing too. Um, Sometimes people have kind of pain when they're not on their period Mm -hmm. um, from, you know, the fibroid bulk or burden, Um, heaviness in the pelvis, urinary urgency, we talk about this, feeling like, you you know, the part of the reason why pregnant women have to go to the bathroom so frequently is because the growing uterus just makes the bladder less likely to, um, less able to hold a lot of urine. Um, And so fibroids can do that too. And so if you find yourself running to the bathroom all the time, or even with, you know, a urinary incontinence where you're having urinary accidents, Due to fibroids, that's a huge issue. And, you know, by treating them surgically, removing the fibroids, you could hopefully, you know, get those, those symptoms under control and kind of get your quality of life back.
0: We kind of need a trigger warning for that. I was getting very triggered, but
1: <laughs> throwback. I'm like yeah. forgetting about some of the symptoms I had. Man. Sometimes you have to contextualize, like it's yes. not cold, bleeding and period pain. Some people feel that, but then, you know, a lot of times I'll take a girlfriend's hand and put it on your belly. Do you feel that? Mm they're like yo, what is that that's a fibroid there should be nothing in your abdomen that feels hard unless you have abs and I don't it's soft (laughs) around here okay and so like if you feel a knot a rock that's not normal and so just
0: understanding kind of like what our bodies should and shouldn't be can be helpful as well and anecdotally like I grew up as a germaphobe so I rarely use public bathrooms but I remember, like once I had fireworks. Oh my gosh! The public bathrooms I used, I still don't even want to think about the bathrooms I had to use. Whew. You know, I'm bathrooms in Ghana from too, <laughs> girl. Ghana, New York City. You know, New York City got some trap house bathrooms. Like, oh my gosh! I like the the, the mega bus. Like, I mean just the places all oh, the places you'll go when you have fibroids how about that <laughs> you know like it's really maybe we should call the episode that it's so <laughs> important really, it's just it changes it really like there's a shift
1: and there's but, a liberation
0: you know, I think with surgery and you know I think we focus a lot on the fibroids you know if you are trying to preserve your fertility but if you do not want to have any more children and you know without a shadow of a doubt A hysterectomy is a very viable option because it's the only way that you have definitive treatment where the fibroids can't grow back because they're not, there's no uterus for them to grow back. And the thing about, I know from my own personal experience is that once the fibroids came out, I always was like, oh my gosh, you know, Annie, are you okay? Are you going to come back? You know, Mm -hmm. you know, is this going to happen again? And until you go through menopause, there's always, you know, you are always feeding, you have the substrate or the food for those fibroids to grow again, and even Which still, I know patients, yeah, I know girlfriends who are, and, in, 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 you know, who are, you know, way past menopause, who are still, you know, dealing with fibroids, and because sometimes if they're so large, or they're just in positions where they're pesky, they can still cause you to have bleeding, and no one wants to see any bleeding after, you know, menopause, because then it's always like, is this cancer, is this something else, and it also, again, once again, impacts your quality of life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I like that you bring that up about hysterectomy um, because we meet a lot of girlfriends who are at that cusp of like, okay, is my family building complete? Am I realistically going to have any children? Do I want to have children? Is it important to me that I carry a pregnancy? And so if those are not, you know, in your future and you're dealing with fibroids, hysterectomy is not a four-letter word. Now, Mm -hmm. granted, hysterectomies are offered to Black women for fibroid treatment way more than non-Black women. And that is a problem. I think, again, you know, we want people who are wanting to have families and wanting to carry pregnancies to do so. But if you want to have a child, then removing your uterus is not compatible with that for people who know that their family building is complete they you know or they're very significantly impacted by fibroids and need relief having a hysterectomy is an option it is a viable option and you don't have to necessarily
0: turn it off just because of things that you heard before Exactly. And I think too, I think I really appreciate this a lot because when I was in residency, I remember two girlfriends who were 45 when they had their fibers were just too much. And instead of getting, they knew they were beyond childbearing or I don't know if they were hoping, this is before a lot of technologies that we have now, like in terms of donor aid registries and stuff like that, where they have more options. They got a myomectomy, I think just because they wanted to keep their uterus for sentimental reasons, possibly. But Five years later, they returned and had to have a hysterectomy for endometrial cancer. And endometrial cancer is the the most common gynecological cancer we have. And so it's very common. It has nothing to do with the fibroids. But, you know, if you preserve, you know, keeping your uterus, if you're not going to use it for fertility, can still leave you with something that can turn into cancer and can change, you know, the trajectory of your life, Um, especially because Black women do typically get higher grade forms of endometrial cancer. And so think really hard about when we talk about surgery or not, uh, what type of surgery, because if you know you are done having children, if you know that, you know, you don't need your uterus to live. I know there's a lot of sentimental value in terms of you carry your children in it or, you know, feeling like you always have some kind of capacity for it. However, endometrial cancer is very real and very common, especially in our community, given, you know, the increase in, you know, delayed childbearing, uh, our size, all these different things that impact um, how endometrial cancer affects our community. So really, if you are keeping your uterus, think about what you'll do with it, not necessarily just to have it. Mm -hmm. I think that's an important point. Thank you. <laughs> this is my like little pet, that's like my pet peeve from like you know, I was like, I'll just get a myomectomy. i like, also myomectomies are very complicated compared to hysterectomies. It's a it's very just,
1: complicated surgery. And the reason why
0: we okay it is for the the opportunity for pregnancy in the future. So we would be remiss if we did not cover some of the cutting edge technologies or procedures that can also help you eliminate fibroids. So I'm going to leave Dr. Tia to all the cutting edge stuff because she's at the pulse of it all. The only things I wanted to
1: make sure to mention in terms of treatment, you know, we talked a little bit in the last episode about medical management, um, the mainstay being um, hormonal contraception that could range anywhere from birth control pills to, you know, prevent periods or minimize um, period bleeding and pain to things like NuvaRing, which is similar kind of medication, just in a different way in a vaginal ring. Um, to even intrauterine devices um, that can help with your bleeding. In some cases, women don't have any bleeding at all. And I know that that can be a significant help. Uh, Dr. Joy mentioned using Lupron, which is a medication that kind of um, stops the hormones at a higher level. It actually is what we call a GNRH agonist. And sometimes it can be given in a shot. Traditionally, it's an injection that you take either once a month or once every three months, depending on the type. But there's now oral medications that do the same job. Um, And so one, I believe, is called Elagolix. One is Myfembry, um, or it's Oralisa, is the Elagolix. And they are oral medications that you take Um, that can keep your periods away, which minimizes menstrual bleeding. It can minimize pain and actually has been shown to decrease fibroid volume. These are typically not for really large fibroids, but they can be an adjunct in an overall plan. And so it's important to be aware of them. You know, sometimes people don't want to have a full big surgery or may have fibroids that are amenable to other procedures. And so it's worth looking into. It just depends on your, your situation. Um, there can be uh, procedures like Essa, where we're using kind of like ultrasound frequency to uh, like ablate uterine fibroids. Um, it's a kind of a pseudo-surgical procedure. You do have to have a minimally invasive laparoscopic surgery to complete There is transcervical uterine fibroid ablation as well, so not a procedure that more and more practitioners are looking into, and so that could be an option, Um, as well as directly cutting off the blood flow to some fibroids, either very large fibroids or isolated fibroids with what we call a uterine fibroid embolization procedure. Now, some of these may not be the best option for women who want to have children later on. And so, again, you have to really talk to your doctor if you know that having additional children is is in your plan or in your desire. Um, but we just mention it because we want you to know that there are some kind of either non-surgical or surgical adjacent things that you can be looking into as well.
0: Especially if you want to keep your uterus, there are ways to avoid having a major surgery, something like a uterine fibroid embolization or uterine artery embolization is, is it's also called. And those are done by interventional radiologists. So they're not OBGYNs or surgeons, but they do these procedures and their suites um, where you're under like Twilight, and um, I remember first hearing about it from one of my sorority sisters, um, who's a charter member of my chapter. So she's like, you know, a few years, a few decades older than me, but it was good to hear. She was like, oh, it changed my life. And she was done having children, but didn't want to have to go through surgery. So definitely a different recovery. However, there are some people who have to have that, have that procedure and also still need surgery due to pain. You have to be the right, you know, candidate. Like your uterus can't be really large because you do get shrinkage down, but it's not necessarily down to like the size of, you know, a walnut. It's, as you know, it shrinks down based on how big it's starting from. So just, you know, these are things that we want you to kind of word salad almost to kind of throw out to <laughs> the physicians you're seeing or practitioners you're seeing just to kind of, you know, gauge their opinions on these other alternatives. And also, you know, things like assessor, you might not necessarily find the exact, you know, you have to find out what surgeons are actually using them. Um, These like cutting edge technologies, but it's important to just look at and, you know, just know your options and see if you're a good candidate
1: there are options that are available to you have a surgeon that you trust if you need to have second and third opinions that is okay that is definitely you know something that can be looked into when you're trying to make a decision this important you know i always like to shout out people who are doing the work in the space um, you know the white dress project is an organization that really has increased the visibility Of people who are suffering from fibroids. Follow them on social media. They have events across the country where they're really just helping people to tell their stories about life with fibroids, treatments for fibroids, surgery, how it went, even, you know, kind of tips on how to prepare for your fibroid surgery, which I know can be so comforting um, to girlfriends who are going through this. There are also, you know, a handful of very skilled, um, minimally invasive gynecologic surgeons across the country who will see you from anywhere and people fly in to, you know, be seen, um, to have their fibroids addressed, to have consultations, even to have surgery. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you don't have to necessarily feel limited just based on where you live. Absolutely start in your own neighborhood, start within your, um, your insurance network. But it's totally okay to branch out if that's what you feel like you need, if you need a second or tertiary opinion, just to know that you have that right.
0: Well, I want to shout out a couple uh, minimally invasive surgeons that I know who impacted my path to being an OBGYN. Number one is Dr. Naya Noel, who also worked with um, the White Dress Initiative. She is a minimally invasive surgeon in Boston at Boston University. She is all about fighting fibroids. She is definitely on the Avenger Squad for fibroids. There's also Dr. Carr Simpson, who is in uh, Baltimore at Hopkins. I love Dr. Simpson. We went to medical school together. She was three years ahead. of, And personally, like she helped a family member of mine who was in Philadelphia and was not getting the opinion that they wanted and felt, you know, dismissed by their surgeon. And she did the right thing. She was like, who do you know? I'll go wherever. And I told her about Dr. Simpson. She literally went down there, had a consultation also took the train down there and had her surgery and was ecstatic about the way she felt valued as a girlfriend of hers patient of hers, how she felt um, in terms of the care, in terms of the post-op care and how she trusted her. And so those are just two examples of women that I personally trust and I've trusted with my family Um, Dr. Noel trained me when I was at University Pennsylvania and taught me so much of what I know from my grace as as a physician, how I do things surgically. Just know that there are options out there and we're giving you specific names because we want you to utilize them. You know, get a second opinion. It's all about, as Dr. Chia said, exhausting all your options before you do something like surgery, which is final.
1: Absolutely. I'll throw out a handful of names if I can remember them all. Let me see. There's Dr. Soini Hawkins in Atlanta, who has a fibroid and pelvic wellness center down there. That's incredible. In Texas, let's see, we have Dr. Tiffany Jones, who's an infertility specialist who does a lot of fibroid work. Dr. Jessica Shepard. Uh, here in my area in New York City, we have Dr. Allison Grant, Dr. Sudi Tri, or Dr. McKen, who you is We're going to have to put this in the, uh, Honey, <laughs> in the I
0: mean, in bio, listen, but we're going to put these names
1: down for y'all. Here doing the work who are interested, who are passionate about helping with this significant public health issue. It's a public yeah. health burden. You don't need to feel like you're alone if you're going through it. You have options. Some of them may be medical. Some of them may be lifestyle, some surgical, sometimes all together. And that's okay to admit and to understand too. But keep fighting for, you know, your quality of life, Mm. your future fertility, your happiness and health, um, and just know that you're not alone.
0: Fireboards, you know, this is not exhaustive because we know that, you know, there's gonna be questions from this episode that will lead to a part three or four in the future, but this is just tip of the iceberg. We wanted to have this discussion both from our own personal perspective as well as our professional perspectives to really give you girlfriends the insight and really get the girlfriend experience, you know, so that you can have the best life experience and really have a great quality of life despite having five words.
1: That's right. Well, we're so happy that we could, you know, have this conversation with you all. We want you to feel empowered and fight the fibroids. Bye, Felicia.
0: Bye, Felicia. Until next time. (laughs) Or not. (laughs) (laughs) Don't come back, Felicia. (laughs) You're not welcome. (laughs) You're not welcome here in Jesus' name. I got to get my mom to come pray for me. (laughs) Thanks for joining us and don't forget to subscribe and check out our website, ndgfexp.com. Have a great one, girlfriends.